0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I would like to show you a continuity of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, about the chronology of salvation, the step-by-step of how God brought you to himself. And what we looked at a couple of weeks ago was uh, four points in... What prepared you to believe? Before you ever got saved, what was the act of God on you that began the salvific process? There was what is called in time election, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him, whom He predestined. These He also called. And to be called, He justified. And all that He justified, He glorified. He loses not one. And so, Uh, you did not find the Lord. He was not lost. Okay. God found you and brought you to himself. That's called election. And what God had to work with was something less than desirable. You and I were born into total depravity. We were dead in our salvation. Our will was not free because our desires were corrupted. You do not will to choose what is detestable to you. And the three things that have to fall in place before the tumblers turn in salvation is that a man or a woman has to consider themselves uh, ignorant, that they cannot figure who God is on their own. They have to go to the word, the, the truth of God. And secondly, they are not righteous on their own. They will not absolve themselves from their guilt or work it off. So we are ignorant and we are guilty And we are weak. There is nothing we can do. As the of psalm says, no man can by any means redeem his brother. The the price of his soul is costly that he should cease trying forever. You'll never make it. Amen. Mm -hmm. Those are the tumblers. And those are all offensive to human beings. And they will never on their own embrace those things. I will never admit that I am not smart enough, that I am not good enough, and that I am not strong enough to fix this myself. For a person to come to that place of receiving the Bible, the uh, cross, and the rebirth by grace, he will never on his own come to that. That is called God's calling, where he has to convict you and show you of your irremediable guilt you can never remove. And then to show you the beauty of Christ. When we come out of the womb, we're the other way around. That we are amazed at the beauty of ourselves, and we are appalled at the uh, narrowness of salvation by Jesus. We are offended at Christ. We think we're great. God has to make you offended at yourself and see Christ is great. And that is an act of supremacy by God. And then as that happens, God calls you to repentance. He now has a heart that can change its mind. Metanoia, we get our word, repent. That he can feel penance for what he has done. And so as Paul said, that God might grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been held captive by Satan to do his will. Is that a depressing verse? You bet it is. And so God now, as we say uh, say in one of our uh, most known quotations, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Peter said in the early church, well then, God hath granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And so God brings you to the place of, God, I need to be changed. And then the next points before uh, or after what God had to do to prepare you is what you believed in, that there had to be an incarnation of God among us. That's called the incarnation of Christ. Then you have his substitution on the cross. Then you have his propitiation, his satisfying the wrath of God for what we did. You have his redemption, his paying for the sin that we had, uh, had incurred. Then you have reconciliation, his opening his arms to man to now to be able to come forth to God. And so propitiation is Godward, redemption is sinward, reconciliation is manward, like the cross. All right? And then he, uh, what happens to us at faith, he's done everything to prepare us a body of truth and to bring us to where we can believe it. What he has to do now is called bringing the gospel to our heart. How can they believe in him whom they have not heard? They have to hear. And so he brings the message to us. Uh, we hear the gospel and we are born again of that seed. All flesh is like grass. It's glory. Like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the Lord abides forever. We are born of eternal seed, the seed of God. And then that brings us to the place of faith, to where we trust completely in what somebody else has done. That is saving faith. And then you have at the result of that, God gives imputation. He bestows to you as a free gift, the righteousness of Christ and you are now declared righteous before God. You are not practically righteous before God. Has anyone quit sinning here yet that we might worship you? Okay. No, you're not righteous in your activities, but you are declared by God as righteous. You have been, this is called justification. It's justified, never sinned. That he clothes me in the righteousness of christ how good do you have to be to go to heaven you have to be as good as god the only way you can get that is god must be as good as you needed to be that he can die for your sin and that he can now bestow upon you the righteousness of christ as a free gift and so is it possible for a human being on this earth to say he will most certainly be in heaven with god only if god will provide the righteousness he needs The Puritans used to say that the righteousness of God is that righteousness which God's righteousness requires him to require. And that is, so now in Christ, we are now declared to be righteous, forensically declared. And now we come to number 14. We got something there, little Nate? It is called regeneration. So we pick up where we left off. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Every man in Christ is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. God, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, places us in the body of Christ. Like someone that gets a cornea transplant, you take it off a dying person and you put it on to a living person. And now that thing that would have died now comes to life because it shares its life If uh, you get a heart transplant, a kidney transplant, uh, you share the life of the living. And so that is regeneration, where God, by the Spirit of God, puts the law in our hearts. And we now long for what we used to detest. Now we detest what we used to long for. Paul puts it like this, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? That we've changed. And so that is regeneration, a new creation. I remember becoming a Christian and uh, all of a sudden I, I didn't want to listen to Jim Morrison and the Doors anymore on those great songs like, hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Okay. All of a sudden I wanted to listen to Andre Crouch and the Disciples or George Bev Shea. No one told me to, but I had a different taste for things. I now wanted to go to church. And down in Waco, it was a bad church. There had never been, that we had like eight old women that would go to the evening service. And now we had eight old women and one 22 year old. And I would go and my mother thought I was in a cult that I'd lost my mind. I wanted to go on Sunday night. I wanted, I didn't have a quiet time. I had to have a non-quiet time that I didn't read my Bible. I was fascinated that I could know the mind of God. I could know where I came from, who I was and where I was going. That I could, as one guy said, sit in a cave with a light and know what the rest of the world was doing. And so I've never, ever recovered from the Bible and that I could pray. I used to pray in the huddle. You say, you're kidding. You've never been a quarterback of a one in 10 team. Okay, you could pray in that huddle too deliver me from evil and thine is the kingdom and power." Yeah, I would pray and I would confess things that I never confessed. Something happened. We sing in one of our Bill Gaither songs, something happened and now I know he touched me and he made me whole. Well, that's called regeneration, a new nature, a freed will. I now longed for the things that I detested and my will was free to respond to God. I remember when I was a mile of the four Nelson boys, whenever we had to go to church at Haring Avenue Methodist Church, uh, we would always stand on the corner and wait for my father to come pick us up in our Pontiac Belvedere. All right. And we would send little brother down the street So when daddy made the curve to see if there was one person in the car, because that meant it was daddy alone and we weren't about to go to church and we would rejoice. Okay. And so Jimmy, my little brother would look and then he would go and that meant, and he would go running down the street like this. Okay. We didn't have to go worship the true God. All right. But sometimes there'd be another person in the car next to him, my daddy. And that was my mother. And so Billy, Jimmy would put the hold on us like this. And he would look to see if mama had her duster on just out for a Sunday morning ride or if she had a hat because that meant to a Methodist woman, church. They issued hats to Methodist women. That was because they were also submissive. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a Rottweiler in a bonnet, if you've ever seen one. And so we would all freeze, Bob, Tom, and Bill would freeze while Jimmy was down there. And we would go, does she have a hat? And if she had a hat, Jimmy would turn and fall on the ground. And we would rend our garments and our hair. We had to go to church something changed something changed are y'all with me that's the way it is with all of us to some degree something changed and then you had what is called forgiveness because of the death of christ god is now judicially able to grant us forgiveness and not compromise his nature the issue in the bible is not how a sinner uh, not how a um, god can send a man to hell but how God can get a sinner into heaven and not change who he is. That's the riddle. How can a righteous God not change who he is and get a sinner where he shouldn't be able to go and God not change the standard? It's impossible. It's the riddle. There has to be an incarnation, an atonement, a rebirth, and a declaration of righteousness and clothing in a man and what he does not have. And so God is able to, as a matter of fact, the Greek word for, dig this, for uh, forgiveness is the word to turn loose. When somebody is guilty and they have a pardon, they can be turned loose. As I understand, the word forgiveness comes from the same place, to before, to give. You're not bound anymore. You're not guilty anymore. Go forth. I give it to you. You're free. Restore the years the locust is eaten. You have another chance, a final chance. That's forgiveness. I let you go. And you now have what is called indwelling. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you have become a temple of God? The church has now become the New Testament temple. They came to Jesus and uh, they said, what do you do to show us that you have this authority? He said, tear down this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They said, it took 40 years to rebuild this temple. You're able to raise it up in three days, but this he spake of the temple of his body. What is the temple today where you find God? Answer, the body of Christ. What is called the body of Christ? The church. And so you have the tabernacle of Solomon, you have the temple, I'm sorry, the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon. You have the rebuilt temple of the exiles who came back, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and the book of Ezra. And then you have the person of Christ and the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And someday we are be raptured and in the tribulation, Antichrist will let Israel rebuild their temple. And then Christ will return, destroy it, and establish his temple for the millennium. And then in the eternal state, there shall be no temple, for God himself shall be the temple. The entirety of all infinite existence will be the glory of God. He shall be all in all. How many you got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, temples. We're right in the middle of those. That's where we are. And so we are ideally now, we're the dwelling place of God. So if you want to know how to find God, you come to those who are called out from the world, that are given the word, given Christ, given the rebirth, and you ideally can come into that church and see a picture of time travel, of what eternity is going to look like. You can see people that are honest that are loving, and on a good day, there will be all kinds sitting together. There will be neither male nor female nor slave nor freeman nor Scythian, barbarian, Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And ideally, you can leave your keys on the dash, and they won't be stolen. Ideally, there will be love and justice And men can beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and study war no more. There will be peace in God's church. Amen? On a good day. And then you have what is called the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That upon our conversion, God seals us. It says, we are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. If you want to make sure that your letter gets to the other destination, what do you do? You put something on it that's a representative of the United States government. And you cannot mess with that seal. What's that seal cost? $47. All right. It's called a stamp. Used to be three cents. But you have to put a stamp. And that stamp is approved. Don't put your own stamp you got to put one that the post office sells you that is approved. It's got to have Elvis or a a duck on it or something like that. And you put that on there. My daddy used to say to us, if you want to rob a bank, rob a bank. Don't mess with the mail because that's an affront to the government. You put that stamp on there so it will get to the place that it's supposed to be except for me who mailed two books to my friend in Virginia, one of them hand-signed by Paul Tibbetts that dropped the A-bomb, and they lost it. Let's close on a word of prayer. So, God is more efficient than the U.S. post office. And so that is sealing. Are you with me? When Pilate wants no one to get into that tomb, what's he do? He puts a seal You put a string in front of that tomb, and you put a a place that you put wax, and he takes it, and he puts the Roman eagle on there, and you don't cross that line. Aren't you glad that an angel broke the law? He broke it, and he rose, and so that's a seal, and the Holy Spirit is called our earnest It means a down payment or a pledge. Back in the old days when you would do real estate, some guy would want to buy your house and he would tie up your time, tie up your time, and then he'd back out. And you lost time and money. So we invented something to punish the waffling. When Teresa and I bought our house back in 1977, it cost $60,000. Think that's some. And uh, to make sure that they weren't going to have their time wasted by us, they asked us for something. I'd never heard of it because I'd never bought a house. They asked for a certain type of down payment. What was it called? What kind of money? Earnest. And I thought, do I need to find a guy named Ernie to give you this money? No, we need to know that you're earnest, that you're not going to waste our time and our money. So, we need six grand from you, cash. And if you back out, you lose that money. You're saying to us that you're good for your word, and the other 54K are on the way. Isn't that good? That's what the Holy Spirit is. God, are you serious? I'm going to give you a pledge. And every time you feel the joy in your heart and the word open up and you sing the songs and have delight, that is my whisper. I'm coming. It's all paid for. It's all done. And so that is the earnest of the Holy Spirit. It's also called the first fruits. In Israel, you had a ceremony, a feast called the first fruits that occurred on Easter, right after Passover. And you offered up the first sheaf of grain as a sacrifice, and in so doing, you sanctified all the rest of the grain that was about to come in, that that one sheaf was the first fruits, an assurance of all the rest, and that uh, all the rest came 50 days after, and thus it is called the Feast of Pentecost, all right? Pentecost is when you brought in all the grain who in the Bible is called our firstfruits from the dead? Christ. He was raised on the feast of firstfruits. And 50 days later was Pentecost, where you had now the beginning of the ingathering gathering of the saints. So are we gonna to get to heaven? Yes, we are. God has given me an earnest, the firstfruits of those who sleep Christ's death. And then we have this. Now sanctification begins. He that began a good work in you through election, calling, conviction, illumination, conversion, justification. Now we have begun a process. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now you begin to enjoy the plan that God has for you according to where he has assigned you, how he has gifted you, and for the days he has numbered for you. And God begins to shape you into his likeness. We now long for the pure milk of the word. We now have a new mind, a new conscience. And as we yield to it, we are led by the spirit through the word of God. And we begin to enjoy now The outworking of God's plan. Great verse, John 14. I think it's verse 21, and it goes like this. Uh, He who keeps my word, he it is who loves me. And he that loves me will be loved by my Father. That's a verb. He will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. We, we get that, the word epiphany. It means to appear to. You will now discover who God is. As you obey him, God will reveal himself to you as he leads you along. Isn't that amazing? That's all we've got to do is obey him day by day, or as Christ said, abide in him. Just abide. And so that is Sanctification. And now that I've taken you now from before your salvation, what got you saved? And now during your salvation, what God began to perform once you trusted. Now, what waits for you? How long will sanctification go on? Till the day you die. Then what? Then what? And so the last six points are what awaits you after death. All right. No one can argue with me on this because no one's here to argue. Okay. The first thing is rest. 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have entered into the rest of God. He that hath entered his rest, Hebrews says, has rested from His works. So what are we supposed to be doing until the day of our death? Works. We're always working. You ever see the movie, Brother Where Art Thou? One of the great Christian movies. Those little girls sing, On the highways and the hedges, we'll be somewhere working for our Lord. We'll be somewhere working with... Okay. And so we're going to be somewhere working for our Lord. And he that enters his rest, and that is what death is. How many times have you seen a graveyard called Eternal Rest Cemetery or something like that? We now enter into the rest. God did His work, and then He rested. We enter into the rest of God. God said to those in heaven in the book of Revelation who have suffered through the tribulation, those tribulation saints, and they're in heaven, and they're calling out for God to avenge their blood. And God says, rest a little while longer, just a little while longer. And so we rest. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My heart's desire, said Paul, is to depart and be with Christ. The word depart is our word analytical. Analuo means to loose away. And it's a word used for a soldier that would let down his pack and go home. Or a ship that would untie from its moorings and go home. And so, my heart's desire is to depart. And it means I lay aside this tent of clay. I lay aside this world. I lay aside CNN. Okay. I lay aside sin and living among sin, and I go home. Paul said, That's my heart's desire but it's more necessary for me to remain. So I'll remain, but I'd rather go home. So we're going home. Today, you shall be with me. Paradise. Peridikos. It means a dike or a wall around something. It was a park in the Middle East, the hanging gardens of Babylon, a beautiful place. Revelation 22, one and following, a a garden. So you're going to be me. Where did man first live at? The garden of Eden. And so you're going to be in a garden, a delightful place. And so that is rest at death. Peter put it like this. uh, I know that the time of my departure is imminent. As our Lord Jesus made it known. You remember before Christ died, he told Peter something. There's going to be a day they're going to bind you and take you where you don't want to go. This he spoke of the death by which he would glorify God. How would you like Christ telling you that before he left? You're not going to die a natural death. So get ready. And so Peter called it the time of my departure. You know what the word was he used? It's spelled E-X-O-D-U-S. Exodus. Hodas, Away. X, a way out. That's why if you want to get out of here, exit. And it's my way home. The exodus is where you leave bondage and you go home. And that's the word that Peter used. I'm going home. So we now have rest. And then you have this. Resurrection and rapture. Whenever I do your funeral, okay? Okay. You might want to take notes. You're not going to be there. But this is what I'm going to say. I will say, this person put their faith in Christ, and they were declared righteous by God. And then they began the process of being shaped into what they were in their declaration, being shaped into a child of God. And now they're home, but there's something still here, and that's that old carcass. That's the body of their humble state. It's still there. God's not going to let that go. He's the God of the whole man. He's going to raise that thing. And it does say that. The Bible says of Christ, he will transform the body of our humiliation. Amen. Our humiliation into conformity with the body of his glory. It has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him. And so... He is the first fruits of all who sleep. As in Adam all die, as in Christ all shall be made alive. We're going to be like him. Isn't that amazing? And so there will be the resurrection. Uh, Now, Tom, so if you die right now, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. In the book of Revelation, we see those that have died and their bodies aren't raised until Revelation chapter 20. But in Revelation 6 and 7, they're in the presence of God. And God says, give them a robe for a little while and let them rest. So if you died, Debbie, God forbid, but if you did, you would go to glory and you'd see Revo and Jane and you would know who they were. All right. Uh, But our body still isn't raised. It's going to be raised on what is called the final day. And that is called the resurrection. The Lord. Now, what about those that are still alive? Well, God has a plan for them. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. You know what I think the shout will be? Same as with Lazarus. Come forth with a shout. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Their spirits are in glory and now their bodies rise from the dead. Do they rip through the grave? Nope. They go right through matter. They will pass right through it. You won't know they're raised unless you dug down there and there's something missing. They will be reconstituted, just like Adam was made in a moment, came together, had a body. The same thing, a recreation. And they will go and they will be united once again with that spirit. And the salvific act will be complete. And so the dead in Christ will rise first because they've got six more feet to go. Okay. And then we who are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Some have felt that meant the clouds above earth. Some feels it means the mystic cloud of the souls that are raised. I don't know. I have to wait till I get there. But the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive shall be caught up. It's the Greek word... Uh, Harpazzo. Harp, to pluck. Harp. Harpazzo means they will be plucked and taken up. The English or the Latin word is not harpazo. That's the Greek word. They should be caught up. The Latin word is the word enwrapped. All right, to enwrapt. And that is why we call that event the rapture. So when somebody says the Bible doesn't have the word rapture in it, you say, no, idiot. It's in Latin, enwrapped. The Greek is harpazo. You just don't know your stuff. All right. So yes, we're going to be enwrapped. And it's like he seizes us. All the father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will not cast out and I will raise him On the last day, my hand to God, if I saved you, I'm going to raise you. Jesus put it like this. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. A Jew knew what that meant, that you would take your bride to live in the family home. So in the father's house will be many dwelling places to bring your maid, your wife, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to die, rise, and make sure that you're going to get there. To prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again. And I'll receive you to myself. That's called the rapture. That where I am. There you may be also. You see a parallel in that verse? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then uh, those who remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall all be with the Lord. It's a parallel to the text. And so that is going to be the rapture. Now, at that point, you might be thinking there's a point of history you have not touched on why is that? At the end of the church age, there is a period of seven years where the world will be judged for its renunciation of God. It's a seven-year period called the tribulation. Its chief book is the book of Revelation and Daniel. And so how are we supposed to live in the tribulation? I can't give you any scripture. I can't give you one scripture on how we're supposed to live in the tribulation. Do you know why I can't? Because there ain't one in the Bible that says you need to build a hundred pound hailstone uh, shelter. Okay, There's not any place that it teaches you how to dodge a demonic being for five months that stings men. There's not one verse on the tribulation. Why do you think we're not there? The tribulation is not a time of persecution merely. It's a time of the wrath of God. And Paul said that he delivers us from the wrath to come. So we don't face it. When Sodom and Gomorrah got hit, what did God have to hesitate for? To get somebody out that didn't belong in that judgment. Who was the somebody? Lot. And God got him out. Matter of fact, the angel said, we can do nothing until you're gone. So with God, the restrainer must be taken away. That is the presence of the church. Uh, The flood doesn't come until someone is in that ark. And that is Noah, his family, and all that are called to him. And then they're safe and secure. Uh, Before the walls of Jericho come down, somebody has to be safe in those walls. Who's that? Rahab. And so you see this all through the Bible that wrath comes, but it's delayed because of God's child. And so I can't give you a verse on what to do in the tribulation. Don't give me Matthew 24 because that's talking to the disciples as representative of the Jews as to what's gonna happen in the tribulation. No, there's not a verse in the Bible as to how we're supposed to live. You just be constantly looking to the Eastern sky Is that the east over here okay whenever he appears to take us home and so when we go to glory what the rapture is is our honeymoon that our bodies are complete salvation is complete the old testament saints they're waiting they're in glory but their bodies are not changed we are the ones that go first because we are the ones that had to take the brunt of the hit of the world as we proclaimed the judgment of God that was coming. And so you and I will be like medal of honor winners, that we have persevered to the end, we showed ourselves to be of God's elect, and so we will go to be with him. Uh, If I showed you the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation, And then chapter 4 begins with this word. And I heard the voice of one who called to me and said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things of the church. And there all of a sudden appears a people in heaven that you've never seen. There's 24 elders in white linen, bright and clean, crowned before the presence of the throne. You have never seen them in the Bible. Now all of a sudden they're there. 24 was the number in the Old Testament of the priesthood. And so we see 24 priests and kings that have never been seen. And they're not there until Christ says, come up here. And they're in the presence of God all of a sudden. And they cast their crowns before him and they worship him. And you don't see him again till chapter 19 when he returns with his armies in fine linen, bright and clean. Question. Who is the group that is summoned to heaven and that returns with Christ at the return? It's you. Would you like to see you? Look at Revelation 4 and Revelation 19. That's you and me. And so he calls us to glory and we have our honeymoon with our bridegroom. And he presents to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot, nor wrinkle or any such thing, but to be holy and blameless before him. And we are alone in the father's house with him. And we see him face to face. Y'all remember a woman named Rebecca, that a servant came and said, my master is vastly rich. And he has given all of his wealth to one only begotten son. And his name is laughing boy, Isaac, because you laugh with joy when you see him. And he has given all of his wealth to this son. And he is miraculously conceived. He shouldn't exist, but he's born in a miracle of God. And he is obedient to the father, even to the point of the father is offering him up at Jerusalem to die. And he was obedient to the point of death and he is raised up from the dead, and he is waiting for his bride, and I have gone to find her, and I've waited a long time because that boy is 40 years old, 40 years old, and he's waiting, and Isaac goes out to meditate in the field. If your wife was on the way, where would you be? He's out in the field. He's looking for them camels coming over the hills. Where is she? She has made the choice to leave where she is and go to a place she has never seen before. And she's looking for a face. And she says to that servant, I'm sure, tell me again what he looks like. Tell me again how rich he is. Tell me about that chariot he drives. Is it a late model? Tell me about the land that he has. Is he handsome? Yes, ma'am, I've told you that before. Tell me again the stories of Isaac." Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story's most precious, sweetest I ever have heard. And he takes her and she gets off her camel. And it says she raises her eyes and sees Isaac. And Isaac raises his eyes and she sees him face to face. Ain't that pretty? Sounds familiar? We have been summoned by God to an only begotten son, miraculously born, who has been raised from the dead and all the father's wealth, and we've never seen him. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And so we'll see him in that day. It has not appeared yet what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so it's called the beatific vision. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye. That word moment is the Greek word atom, a T-O-M. Tom means to cut. Atom means it can't be divided. The smallest unit. In a moment, this corruptible will put on incorruption, and we will see him in the twinkling of an eye. And that's up. I've done a lot of weddings. They open up those doors. Dun, 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 dun. And there she is, glorious. And there he is in a cheap tux. <laughs> Grooms are always kind of messing around before the bride comes in, they're waving at everybody. Until he looks at his mother. <laughs> And then you hear, boom, boom. And I watch him. I always love to watch the groom. In the twinkling of an eye, he sees her. I've seen him completely break down incoherent. (laughs) Let's continue. And so there, now what happens after the resurrection? It's called the Bema, the judgment seat. This is the most untaught area of Christology in all the Bible. The apostle Paul said, each of of us shall give account of himself to God. It says, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us might be recompensed, paid back for his deeds in the body, whether good or light or evil. It will not be a judgment, it will be a recompense for good. Here's what you did. And it's going to be wood, hay, or stubble, or it's going to be gold, silver, precious stones. The eternal, or whether you lived for temporal lust, temporal money, or temporal applause. And there is your reward. It will show up in the brightness of the saint when he comes back. And fine linen, bright and clean, and the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And it will show up in the reward. Master, your mina made 10 minus more. Well done, you'll be over 10 cities. Yours made five minus more. You'll be over five cities. Remember when David was running from Saul and he had certain people that knew he was the true king and the mighty men came to him and they suffered with him. And when David ascended to his throne, he took those sufferers and he elevated them to be kings in the land. And that's gonna be you, the mighty men, mighty women that their day is coming. And so the Bema is where we stand, and he will say, Did you play according to the rules? Whenever in Greece you had the Olympic Games, they were called the Isthmian Games, the Corinthian, or the, yeah, the Corinthian Games, or the Athenian Games, uh, you had to make an oath before the Games that you would not get drunk, you would not overeat, that you would train, you would stay out of brothels because they didn't want bad athletes competing. That's why in our Olympian games, you have to work up to the top to where you get the right to even compete. Well, in the Greek games, you would enlist and they would say, okay, but here's the deal. Raise your right hand, swear by the gods. I will not drink. I will not overeat. I will not do all these things. And after the games, before you get the reward, you're going to stand here again. And you're going to say by the gods, you did not break your word. That's going to be the Bema. And if you violate it, the reward isn't coming to you. All right. All right. And so after you competed, you would stand before the Bema. And Paul said, the athlete does not win the prize. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the reward, the recompense to the believer unless he competes according to the rules. Are there some great baseball players that aren't going to get in the Hall of Fame? Pete Rose ain't getting in. He broke the rules. You can't gamble on baseball because you'll start fixing the game to win. Holding back your best pitcher Until you're playing the team that you bet against. And he did. And then he lied. So the best hitter in baseball will not get in. Who is the best home run hitter in baseball? Barry Bonds. He ain't getting in. You're not supposed to take performance enhancing drugs. And he did. And he lied about it. Mark McGuire is not going to get in. And what's odd, that's the best hitter, the best home run hitter, and the best pitcher that won, I think it's seven Cy Youngs from the University of Texas, Steve Poe. And it was all your fault. Who's the pitcher? He's from uh, Houston, Roger Clemens. Seven, I believe it's seven Cy Youngs. Unbelievable. He used performance enhancing drugs. That means you can pitch on three days rest without five days rest. And then he lied. The best will not get in because they didn't compete according to the rules. Reward. How did you compete? Paul said, I buffet my body. Not buffet. I buffet my body and I make it my slave, down body, in order that having called to others, I would be disqualified from the prize. Speaking of the reward, no. Is it worth suffering for? No pleasure that I can ever have can surmount the delight of well done good and faithful servant. And so that is called the Bema, the judgment seat. And then next, the return. Let me show you something. Revelation 19, look there real quick. And Revelation 19, Christ is coming, and you see Him In verse 7 of Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come. We're coming from the bridal chamber and now we're emerging to come to the wedding feast. Who's invited to the wedding feast? The entire world. And now in the tribulation period, all those that were looking, remember that parable of the virgins, the friend of the bride that are looking for the bridegroom to come? And now the marriage of the Lamb has come. And in verse 8, it was given to her, the bride, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints after the Bema. So here you are. Circle verse 8 and put your name. That's you. It is given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. Are you going to see the second coming? You're going to be the second coming. Do you know how to ride? You better get to Pilot Point and get you a horse. All right. And now, if you'll look at verse 14, that bride in fine linen, bright and clean, she's called something else here. And the verse 14, what's the word? Armies, which are in heaven. What are we doing there? The rapture. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Same wording. It's the bride. Zechariah 14 says, when Messiah appears, he will appear with his holy ones. And here he is. And they're following him on white horses. And they now return to rule. Chapter 20 and verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. Write down, that's you that will rule with Christ like the mighty men is there anything so prized on earth that I would rank it above this? That's why Paul said, I buffet my body. And so that is called the return. So we're going to see him. Jesus said to the 12 apostles, you'll sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. Paul said, if we endure, we'll reign with him. And that is the next point. It is called the rule of the saints. Uh, If we endure, we shall reign. When Christ sets up his kingdom, he's going to have to have rule over all the earth. How's he going to do it? Answer, with three peoples. Old Testament saints upon the return of Christ will be physically raised. Tribulation saints that died, Revelation 20 and verse uh, 4. It says, the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony, because of the word of God, and had not worshiped the image of the beast, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, they came to life, and they ruled a thousand years. Tribulation saints. You're going to have Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and tribulation saints that God saved beginning, present, and at the end, and they're going to rule with him for a thousand years. How's that going to take place? We don't know. God leaves it in the dark. You've got to wait to get there. And then the last thing is the reign of the saints. Look at chapter 22 and verse 5. There will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of, the, of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will... What's the word you got there? Reign forever and ever. In the Garden of Eden, we fell into the captivity of sin. Now we will reign forever. In the Garden, we were darkened to God. Now we will look upon His face in illumination. God will undo. Revelation 22, 1 through 5 is the undoing of Genesis 3. If you had been God... Would your Bible be this thick? Would you have spent so much time between rejection and the final rule of God? Well, what have we seen? You ready? Let me show you your whole Bible. In the Garden of Eden, you were under innocence. Obey me. Man did not, and he's cast out. And then you have sacrifice, and you're looking forward to the coming of one who will die, and you are told to sacrifice, do good, do good and your countenance be lifted up. Cain murdered his brother. And we saw murder occur so great that we had to destroy the world in the flood. And the flood, we now are going to institute something that will keep order. It's called government. That was a good idea. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, because man is in the image and the glory of God. Government is based on the sovereignty of God and the image of God in man. Amen? Man rejected it at the Tower of Babel. And now you begin to see evil occur. And God raises up a miracle nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his 12 sons. It's called Israel. And he gives them a covenant. And he gives them promises. And they are to be a light in the dark. And they are to grow in Egypt, be led out given the promised land. How did the promises do to those brothers? Well, they murdered Joseph, lied to their daddy, broke his heart and hid that sin for 20 years. He took them into Egypt where they grew and they fell into idolatry. So man in the garden, man under conscience, man under government, man with the promises, Israel will not obey God. And so he took him out and he gave him the law. He raised up a man that he bestowed truth on him. Who was that? Charlton Heston. <laughs> Moses at Sinai that would reveal to you God, reveal to you your sin, show you God's law, point you to the ceremonies where you approach God through the shedding of blood and prophesy the coming of Messiah. And Israel had the law for 1,500 years And they fell into captivity because of idolatry. And God sent his final word to them, the Messiah. They killed him the slowest and the most painful. They didn't just kill him. He is the only occasion mentioned of in the Bible of torture. They tortured him for six hours. Then they laughed at him. Then they killed him and lanced his heart, make sure he was dead, put him in a tomb, made sure nobody would get in there to get him up from the dead. And so now that death mysteriously began an age called the age of the church, what all of these other ones look forward to. And sure enough, here in the church age, God hath commanded men everywhere to repent the age of grace. Steve, how are we doing? Have the nations repented? They have not. They have scorned our Christ and assailed his ways. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Man has rejected God in the garden, before the flood, after the flood, the Jewish fathers, the Jewish law, and the age of grace. And so now he will come back and rule the world, the seventh period. After a thousand years, we got a problem. You know what it is? The people born during that time, they're called millennials. And you know what it says happens? If you look at chapter 20 of Revelation and verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison as he is bound a thousand years and will come out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Now certainly man will not fall into sin again. Certainly. After all the completed Bible, right? Right? wrong. All you need in history to go down is a teenager. If you have, and I think the temptation of Satan is going to be the same. You think life is great, man, it sure is. You don't know how great it is. You know why you think it's great? Because you're under the captivity of God. You break free from him and uh, take a magic carpet ride. Come get on and let's get free of him. It's going to happen again. And as a result, in verse 8, he gathers the nations called Gog and Magog, which are terms in the Bible for the enemies of God. Man is still an enemy. And he gathers them together for the war against God? Yes. The number is like the sand on the seashore. You know why it says that? Because that's the sign of the blessing of God. They have grown like the sand on the seashore, and they rebel. They came up on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And then in verse 10, there goes the trinity of hell. The devil who deceived them, where the beast that tried to rule them and the false prophet of religion, false religion, are there also. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet go into the lake of fire. All that is waiting now are his family. Those from Cain on, that have followed the devil. And so in verse 11, all of the existing universe will decompose. I can't wait to see that. You split one atom, you get an atomic bomb. We're going to take all the energy of the world it's going to be released. We are going to remake it into new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be the home for God's bride. What's it going to look like? We've only seen it in the mind of God, and you get a little tiny glimpse of it and 21 and 22. You incidentally have to go through the entire Bible to get to it. God will not lure you to to heaven by glory. He will lure you to heaven by forgiveness. If you were a multi-billionaire, how would you get a woman to marry you? Would you come as a billionaire or would you come as a simple shepherd? See, that's the way I had to do. I didn't wanna come to Teresa as the quarterback of North Texas and have her fall at my feet, and not know where her heart was. So I came as the quarterback of North Texas. And so, God now makes a new heaven and a new earth, and He raises the dead in verse 11 through 15, and they stand before the throne of God, and the books are open, and they look at their guilt, and their only hope is verse 15 the book of life where your name is mentioned, the Lamb's book of life, and it's not there. And this is so ironic, Debbie, because the thing you loved all your life was a rejection of God. The thing you you hated was submission to Him. Now at the end of your life, your greatest horror was your greatest joy that I didn't mess with God. And your greatest uh, grief is that you are not found in that book. The thing that you loathed, you would give anything to be found there and it's over. There's no second chance, no reincarnation, no soul sleep. It's done. And now the family of the Trinity of hell goes into a family reunion. And then you have the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, and we are with the Son. So that's what's waiting on you. Let me ask you, if you reject God in the garden after the fall, after the flood, The Jewish fathers reject him. The law, they reject him. The grace of God, they reject. And in the kingdom, they reject the rule of Christ. Has God done all he can do? Yes. So now it is finally shown, man is a rebel. God is great. And so, after it has been unequivocally proved... The book is shut and so you and I are in what is called the last days. Pray with me, Father we have seen a very important chronology of soteriology of where we were, what you did for us, how you drew us to it and what happened to us and what awaits us. We are the main idea of Scripture the glory of God bestowed upon his people. Make your word precious to us. And Lord, if there's a man or a woman in this congregation right now that does not know you, Lord, they can't weep for their estate because they don't care. They can't feel terror because they don't care. They don't feel a longing for you because you're detestable to them. They're dead. They're worse than dead their enemies. And so were we. Lord, might you show the mercy on them that you showed to us and grant them the repentance that leads to life. And we'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.